This morning's message is entitled, Avoiding the Pain of Judgment. Now, this is kind of a little bit of a different kind of message than I would normally bring. What happened is, over the past probably year or so, I've had conversations with people you don't know. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. People you don't know, okay? <laughs> and what I would uh, often hear in, in the conversations was judgment. I could see that they were making judgments and the pain that, that came into their lives because of that judgment. And so I was like, maybe there's some way I can help. So I ordered a book called How to Stop the Pain by Dr. James Richards. And it's all about the process of how we make judgments and the consequences of those judgments. Now, uh, what exactly is a judgment? Uh, if you look in Webster's 1828 Dictionary, it says to make a judgment is to try, to examine, and to pass sentence. We're very uh, used to that kind of concept in a court of law. They're put on trial, the evidence is, is brought for, the facts are brought forth, and then they come to a conclusion as to whether guilty or, or innocent. It also means to rightly understand and discern. This is the kind of judgment Christians are supposed to use. <laughs> to rightly judge and discern, not to pass sentence. It means to esteem, to think or to reckon. We would understand it in terms of, I have judged God faithful. We understand that we're, we're actually making a judgment, that we believe, based on the evidence, He is a faithful God. And it also means to either doom to punishment or to punish. So, of course, we don't like that one. That's the one, as believers, we do not have to be afraid of. God has already judged all the sin of mankind on the cross of Jesus Christ. He will never judge us uh, by our sins again. The only judgment you really see for believers is at the end of time, when he says our works will be judged, not us. He says, whatever it is we have done in our life, they will be tried by fire, and, and whatever is good, we get rewarded for. There's no penalty. There's just rewards. But there are those. It says some will be you know, saved as by fire, and basically they have their little robe of righteousness, and that's it. <laughs> Praise God for that. So Christians don't need to be concerned about God judging us. What is the process that I'm talking about? Let me tell you what it isn't. To make a judgment isn't based on what I observe alone. We talk about in a court of law. In a court of law, they're only allowed to bring facts. They're not allowed to bring hearsay. They're not allowed to bring opinion. They can only bring facts. So that's part of the problem with us as human beings is because we often make judgments not based on the facts, but on what we think. We draw conclusions. My purse is sitting right here this morning, and if somebody you didn't know walked in and sort of looked sort of shady, <laughs> maybe scruffy beard, lots of tattoos, maybe a piercing or two, and they just sort of made themselves at home, and they maybe right here, and then they see there's a purse there, and they get up and they move over there, and pretty soon they're looking around, getting into the purse. Now, what would we think? We've got a thief in our midst. <laughs> Somebody grab him. <laughs> but you know exactly how my son looks? I have a son. Lots of tattoos and all of that good stuff. 
And if you saw him, you might presume him to be a shady character. <laughs> but I can guarantee you he wouldn't steal out of my pocket purse. That's the concept of judgment. When we don't know why something is, we fill in the information. The scripture I'm going to look at this morning is Matthew 7, starting with verse 1. And it's all about making judgments, the judgments that we make. The Tree of Life version, and it says this, Stop judging, so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the beam in your own? Or how will you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye and look, the beam is in your own. Hypocrite, first take the beam out of your own eye, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Start with the first verse, stop judging. I chose this particular version for this reason. It put it in the present tense. What happened to me on the way to helping somebody else <laughs> is that I found out, oh, I do this. I didn't know I did this. I'm very careful about not making judgments against people, passing sentences. I always would rather err on the side of grace than judge. But you'll see as we go along that we all do this. This because this is natural thinking. To be carnally minded is death. That's natural thinking. As human beings, the way that we are raised, we ascertain that we are the center of the world. <laughs> Ask any two-year-old. He will tell you, yes, the sun, the moon, and the stars all revolve around me. <laughs> so we grow up with this self-centered attitude. This self-centered perception is really what it is. One of the situations that brought me to this study was that children of divorce very often think, if I had been a better boy, or if I had been a better girl, if I had helped more, if I had done something, this, that sense of that self-centeredness is that I caused this somehow. It's that, that self-centered perception that all human beings have. That was part of the issue. How do I help somebody see, no, you don't have that kind of power. You don't have the power to make somebody leave. So that was part of it. The first thing he said to me was, stop judging. <laughs> now I said, so that you will not be judged. This is not talking about God. I started with that. This is not talking about God judging us. For years, I was taught in this stream of thought. If you judge, however you judge someone else, that's how God is going to judge you. Now, does that make sense? Think about that. If my judgment is wacko-y, is God going to turn around and judge me wacko-y? No. <laughs> what I didn't know then is God wasn't judging me at all. That's the grace message. God is not judging me at all. He doesn't have a little measuring stick seeing how well I do things, how well I perform. That has caused a big difference in, in my own life. It's like Steve was saying earlier. The message of grace sets you free all over the place. That's part of what this message is about, is I want us to be free from this natural thinking. We all do it to some degree, but we don't recognize it, and that's why I wanted to bring it this morning. So it says in uh, 2 Timothy 4.8, speaking of God's judgment, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not only me, but also to all of them that have loved his appearing. That's the judgment we get. 
That's the judgment we're under from God, is that, that we are his and we are righteous. No matter what comes into your life, you can stand on the fact that I am right with God. I am righteous. I am fully accepted. I am completely loved. It changes how you see your world. That's why the message of grace is so important. It goes on in verse 2 and says, For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what is he talking about? If he's not talking about God judging us, obviously he must be talking about people. And he is. Some scholars think there is talking about there is a reaping from other people. And I suppose that would be true. If I'm a critical person, if I'm a judgmental person, what's gonna, what are my relationships going to be like? We can see there is a reciprocity. But it also says, in, in other, the other places where it uses this term, you, with the measure you meet, it will be measured to you again. We see that, of course, in Luke 6.38. Give, and it shall be given to you. And one translation says men. Because even though when we give, and, and we normally think of the scripture in terms of money, when we give unto the Lord, the Lord returns it via people. Reciprocity, God, love it. <laughs> multiply, multiply. But what about judgment? Mm. Sowing and reaping doesn't say if you sow good, you re get good return, but not if you sow bad. <laughs> not if you sow error. I was in error for a lot of years. It definitely affected my life. It matters what we believe. It also says in Mark 4, chapter 24, it says this. And he said to them, Take heed what ye hear. And this is Jesus speaking about the word of God. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you, and more shall be given unto you. And this particular scripture, he's really talking about the value, again, we place on the word. You see, if I put great value on the word of God, it's going to have a great effect in my life. Most of us would like little effort, big reward. <laughs> Everyone likes that idea. However, God says we live in a natural world where there's a thing called sowing, seed time, and then harvest. <laughs> and sometimes we don't like the harvest. I've heard many ministers say, if you don't like the harvest, look at what you're sowing. And that's really what we're doing this morning, is we're going to see if maybe, perhaps, we have sown or are sowing judgment. It says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own? Now, Jesus is really painting quite a hysterical picture, if you think about it. <laughs> because he's saying there's this log, there's this beam of wood in your own eye, and you're trying to help other people. Now, what is he saying? When we start to judge, there's no way for me to see correctly. Think about that. If I'm in judgment, I'm not seeing correctly. Period. Because judgment first of all, is the opposite of grace. <laughs> so he basically is saying, look, you don't have the ability to judge because there's no way I know your heart. It says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, and this is when Samuel is, is going to anoint David as king, he says, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. This was what he said about the first son that came. The first son looked really good. <laughs> he was tall and handsome and, and you know, 
probably big muscles. He's the oldest. He's probably really smart. Great pick, God. Here he is. God says, not him. You can't judge by the outside. He says, I look at people's hearts, and only I can see people's hearts. So where does this human judgment come from? I did sort of hit on that in the beginning, that it's all completely human. If we go to the Garden of Eden, what I want to show you here is how judgment is a trap. If we look at the fall of man in the garden, it says this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that it, the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desiring to make one wise, well, God never said that, <laughs> she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. But what the Lord was showing me is what exactly it is that the Satan did. You know, he didn't come right out and say, oh, God's a liar. Why not? Remember, we're outside-natured people. Had they had any reference to God lying? No, they would have recognized that just like that. So he couldn't say to them, God's a liar. He just contradicts. You won't surely die. What he says is, I have some secret information for you, some secret knowledge. I can see God's motive. This is where judgment starts. I can see why he did what he did. Would you like me to tell you? God said, if you eat of the tree, you will die. He's like, oh, no, no, no. God has an ulterior motive. Why did God say you can't do that? Oh, he doesn't want you to be like him exact opposite of the truth. But you see, when we think we have secret knowledge, when I think I know why you did what you did, I've entered into judgment, and I've entered into deception, because there is no way I can know why you did what you did. Judgment always begins with the word why. One of the ways that I saw this in my life was about six months ago, the whole back row was filled. And I ministered that week. And the next week, guess what? The whole back row was empty. <laughs> guess what happens? I go, hmm, why? You see, when we don't know why, we want to put a reason in there. It's always going to have to do with us. Because as human beings, that is our bent, to be self-centered instead of Christ-centered. The whole back row was gone. I'm like, oh no, what did I say? I must have offended everybody. <laughs> That's judgment. When I think I know why you did what you did, I've entered into judgment and deception. And I now have a log in my eye. <laughs> and there's no way I can help you with a log in my eye. 
That's judgment. Now, the, we see here that there were two trees in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is about really being able to discern what is right and wrong. That's what the law was about. People tend to have their own rules, <laughs> and they always have to do with them. That's why God had to eventually give the, the Jewish people laws so that he could restrain sin to a degree until he could get the Messiah here. It says man likes to think he knows what's right and wrong. He, obviously he doesn't because he doesn't have the ability to see into other people's hearts. They, Adam and Eve were in a perfect garden, a perfect domain, with perfect spouse, <laughs> with perfect food, with everything that was observable being perfect. There was nothing in the facts that would cause them to distrust God. God had taken care of everything perfectly. But Satan shows up with this concept of, I know things you don't know. I know why he did that. Judgment is always going to begin with that concept of, I know why. What happened after she ate of the tree? Her perception completely changed. Before she ate of the tree, before Adam and Eve ate of the tree, they were plugged into God. God came in, you know, for dinner every evening, and they walked in the cool of the garden, and they had a wonderful relationship. But when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they became unplugged. And suddenly, their vision is completely changed. They no longer see God in his reality. They see according to the deception that they've received. When you get unplugged from God, you become fear-based. And fear always has to do with judgment. She became a fear-based. What did they do? They started making things to cover themselves up because they suddenly realized they were naked. But in the chapter before, it says they were naked and they were not ashamed. Their vision, their ability to see was changed. It was distorted. Suddenly, instead of living in this perfect garden of love and joy and peace, sounds like the kingdom of heaven, <laughs> they're living in a garden where now they're afraid of the one who created them. They're living in deception. So they became fear-based and they decided to cover themselves with their own works. Not that we would ever do that. One of the things they did is they judged God. We see that a lot today, where people, even believers, are judging God. They fall into the same lie that Adam and Eve did. I know why God, I have secret knowledge. I know why this is happening to you. God's mad at you. They say they understand God's motive. God's mad, God's angry, God's punishing you. None of that is true. But if you have a log in your own eye, you can't see the truth. Whenever we think we know somebody's heart, even if it's God's, <laughs> if we think we know the motive of God's that's not plainly shown in the scripture, God wants us to know his heart because his heart is full of grace. His heart is not one of judgment. Even through the Old Testament, he was always a God of mercy, a God of grace. He was always a God of love. I want to just show you there how easy, how simple it was for Satan to trick them he told them he knew something about God they didn't know. Why do we as Christians, believers all over the world, why do we assume we know why bad things happen? Poverty, crime, sickness, brokenness, anything that they can see and observe. You see, if you don't see the why, you're automatically going to make it up. And since in the natural world, what do we have? We have a system of do bad, get bad, do good, get good. 
it's a works-based program. <laughs> it's all over the world. They assume they have knowledge. Why God does what he does. They think it's God. Just for the record, God is not in the business of sickness and death and crime and poverty. That is not who God is. He is in the business of, of drawing us out because of his mercy and grace. So how do we know the truth? Unfortunately, most of us make it up, but how do we get it? <laughs> well, the Word of God, of course. We see that this is really the human part of us that judges God. The disciples did this. They were in a storm in a boat. Water was filling the boat, and Jesus was asleep. And they got all upset, and they rushed to wake him up, and they say to Jesus, Don't you care that we perish? So often I hear Christians who get frustrated with the lack of results that they're seeing. And they cry out to God and say, don't you care? Don't you care? Well, yes, he does. They think because they're looking for the why. Why is this happening in my life? Well, it certainly couldn't be my fault. <laughs> so it must be God's fault. <laughs> that is what we see. The large portion of people who claim to believe in God believe that God is doling out judgment for sin that he's in charge of tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes. Well, we, of course, know that he is not. All of this presumption comes from trying to figure out the why. Romans 3.24 through 26 says this. This is where Paul is talking that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And he goes on to say, all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. I love the word propitiation. It's not a word we use very often, but it means to satisfy wrath, to put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over his former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Even in this one scripture, we see a lot. God is just. He's not letting sin go unpunished. Another accusation against God. He's not letting sin go unpunished. All sin has been punished. And so we see that he is just and that he has already satisfied wrath. There is no wrath for the believer. He's not doing out wrath on the world. That's not what he's doing. He is trying to bring all men to repentance. God wants us to know him. But even though the disciples could see Jesus, they still had a really hard time understanding who God was. But if we look in the scripture, because the word of God is where we find the truth, we find that if we want to know what God is really like, what his heart is, what his motives are, it says in Colossians 1.15 that he's the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews 1.3 it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. God's showing the world what he was like. They didn't understand what he was like. They were trying to figure out all the whys. Why this happens, why that happens, and, and why does God do or not do whatever it is that we think he's doing. So when we look at Christ, we can see what God is truly like. Did Jesus ever tell somebody, I will not heal you? No. Did Jesus ever tell somebody, you haven't suffered enough? No. <laughs> Did Jesus ever tell somebody, no, I think it's good if you're, you're going to be hungry a couple more days? No. But why do then we as believers think and worry? We won't have enough food. We won't be well. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we fall back into that old mindset. And Satan helps us. 
Let me tell you, Satan helps you. <laughs> Just like he helped Eve. He's got like, let me give you some secret inside information here. And when we do that, we are deceived. One of the ways that this works, this knowing why, we want to know why people do things. One day last year, Nancy came to me before service and she said, just want you to know, I'm going to be leaving early. Like, I'm going to go get baptized. She was really excited. I was too. Good news. But you know why she did that? Because she's aware of human nature. If I'm ministering the word and she suddenly gets up and rushes out, what am I going to think? I'm going to start with the, I think you think. I think you think this is silly. I think you think I'm silly. I think you think this is wrong. I think you think. What is that? Secret knowledge. <laughs> I think you think so-and-so is such-and-such. When we get into the I think you think routine, we've entered into shoving logs into our eyeballs. <laughs> we cannot see somebody else's heart, somebody else's motive, or somebody else's thought. So. If you have an opportunity where somebody does something and you've scrutinized it, thinking maybe possibly you've rightly discerned and you have, I think they think this. We just entered into judgment and we do it all the time. I think they think such and such about me or such and such about them. I think they think. The problem is this reciprocity that comes back. What happens with this I think you think routine is we get into the area of our personal being. You see, if somebody jumps up and runs out, I'm using me on purpose because I know lots of other people's scenarios, but I can't use any of them. <laughs> but I see Christians do it all the time. I think they think I'm stupid. I think they think I can't do my job right. I think they think, and they don't realize that they've just entered a place of deception because there's no way you know what somebody else thinks. Now, like Andrew Womack says, every once in a while, a blind squirrel will get a nut. You may occasionally get it right. <laughs> but even if you do, what does it do to you? You see, what happens with the I think you think routine? I think you think um, I'm in it. I think you think, do you get the, the concept? It becomes self-condemning. I think you think. And it's not usually good. We don't often think, I think you think I'm wonderful. <laughs> we think bad things. <laughs> we think bad things about ourselves. And it turns into self-condemnation. What if it was true that Nancy was offended by something I said? Okay, and she gets up and she runs out. And I think she thinks, <laughs> but I just happen to be right this time. <laughs> what does that do to me? What do I do with that information? See, the problem with that is I've now given her power over my heart. And this is where I see Christians do it all the time. Whether it's a valid criticism, and most of the time it's not. It, most of the time it's, I think you think the young bride whose husband leaves her. I think he thinks I'm not pretty enough. I think he thinks I'm not smart enough. I think he thinks. What is she doing? She's condemning herself. This is my fault. 
But if you do the homework about people leaving their spouses, it's all about them, not about their spouse. Other people have their own stuff. And for whatever reason, this human part of us always thinks their stuff is about us. That we have the ability to affect people in such a way as to make them make these judgments. What I see is that people end up in a lot of pain with the I think you think. They end up in a lot of condemnation. I think you think. I think you don't like me. I think you whatever. It is amazing to me how this functions in our lives. My husband and I were talking about this, and he was even telling me. When he first started his job, he was a telemarketer. Now, how many people love telemarketers? <laughs> Not too many. <laughs> but when he first, especially when he first started, it was rough going because it's constantly rejection, constantly being rude, constantly being sworn at. And you know what his, his response was? Why are you treating me this way? See, he took it personal. Why are you treating me this way? I just want to be nice. I have something that could really help you. If you want to talk to me, that's fine. But why are you treating me this way? What did I do to make you treat me this way? And you know what? It's very hard for people if they can't get past that deception, that people treat me according to who I am. The truth is, people treat me according to who they are. That's why it's so important for us to understand this deception of the enemy, that people treat us according to who they are, not according to who we are. But the lie Satan wants us to believe is the condemnation. He wants us to get into that place of right and wrong, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Most of the time when we have these, I think you think, <laughs> it's going to be negative. We're going to find condemnation. But there is the occasional opportunity <laughs> where we can go the other way, eat off the other side of the tree. I think you think I'm good. I think you think I'm wonderful. And it may not be at all true. I have met people who think they are wonderful, <laughs> and they're sure everybody loves them. And you're like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Lord, just have mercy. <laughs> Help them see that they have logs in their eyes because they think people should wait on them and fawn over them. They really have this very elevated idea of themselves. <laughs> Same deception. I think you think. And the truth is, people who think that, that's not usually what people are thinking. It's not the truth. They're not walking in the truth. So Jesus says to his disciples, stop judging. Take the log out of your eye. Well, how do you do that? This was really where it really ministered to me is because this is an area I've always struggled with. I think you think. Whenever you do something public, oh, I think you think. <laughs> as much as we would like to not fall into this trap, it's really easy to do. I think you think. I think you don't like what I've done. I, don't, I think you do like what I've done. The problem is I'm looking out here instead of in here. See, when I look out here and I judge myself by your opinion, who's Lord of my life? You are. That's what's wrong with that. When the Lord began to show me this, that I was guilty of this judging process, that I was doing the I think you think, and coming up on the short end of the stick, 
that's where I always default to, is the short end of the stick. I said, okay, Lord, how do I fix this? How do I change? I see I do this. <laughs> I see Satan helps me. <laughs> how do I change this? And the Lord said, you have to decide who's Lord. You have to decide. I know lots of people who love Jesus, but he's not Lord of their life. Now, is he Lord? Yes. But are they letting him be Lord in their life? No. Many believers, they love Jesus, and you'll hear them. He's a wonderful part of my life. Wrong answer. <laughs> he is your life. <laughs> you know? So we see they have Christ. They know him. They even love him. But he, they don't submit themselves. They want to be in charge of their own life. And Jesus will let you wreck your life. He will. <laughs> he will. He will try to talk you out of it the whole way, but he will let you wreck your life if you want to. So he said to me, you have to give up your right to judge yourself. He said, because what you're doing is you're sitting on the throne of your own heart, and you're declaring yourself unfit. You're like the disciples. You have no ability to see the truth. None. The only way you can see the truth is if I show you the truth. Human ability has no ability to judge correctly. <laughs> We're always going to judge either too harsh or too soft. And with, when we talk about ourselves, it's usually too harsh. So he says, you have to decide that you no longer have the right to judge yourself. I was like, wow. And I felt the shift in my heart. I didn't realize that's what I was doing that I was elevating myself Lord of my life, Lord of, of whatever it is I do. I was judging myself. Whose job is that to judge me? God's. Even the Apostle Paul said, I don't judge myself and I don't really care if you judge me. <laughs> How could he be that free? How many of us could say that? I don't care if you judge me. I live unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He judges me and he judges me good. He judges me righteous. He judges me holy. He judges me wealthy. He judges me all the things that are good in Christ Jesus. He, I love the way he judges. I hate the way I judge. He says, so stop. See, once we know we do something, Holy Spirit can give us course corrections. This isn't the law message. Stop judging. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> because in our human thinking and carnal thinking, it's impossible. So he says, you have to be willing to say no more. Jesus Christ is Lord of me. And when Satan tells me, I think they think, and you, I don't care. I don't care what they think. I choose to believe what Jesus says about me. Not what I say about me. Not what you say about me. Or what I think you think <laughs> about me. Jesus is the one who's in charge of me. Watchman Nee tells a wonderful story about a man he began to disciple. He led him to Christ. But because he was a traveling evangelist, he couldn't stay and, and disciple him as much as he wanted to. So he told them. He said, when you invited Jesus into your life, he came in. And he's the Lord of your life. Just listen. 
they were kind of confused because they were very religious and they wanted rules and the regulations. Tell me how I'm supposed to do this Jesus thing. And he said, no, just listen to the Holy Spirit. And he went away because he was, that's what he did. He was a traveling evangelist. And what happened was this man had wine every night for dinner. It was mandatory. Wine at dinner. He called the Holy Spirit resident boss because he had been told, God is resident in you. For a couple of days, he had still insisted on having his wine. But after two or three days, he couldn't take it anymore. He's like, I know I'm not supposed to have it. <laughs> now, no one told him he wasn't supposed to drink. Holy Spirit, resident boss, said, if you're going to let me be Lord of your life, I don't want you to participate in that. Holy Spirit didn't condemn him. The Holy Spirit didn't tell me he was bad. Holy Spirit just said, this is not what I want for you. I just want you to put that aside. You don't need that. When Watchman Nee came back again, he had asked him, what is this? Why won't resident boss let me drink? <laughs> he said, because he loves you. And he knows what's best for you. All you got to do is do what he tells you to do. And within a few days, he no longer wanted the alcohol. But I love that story because how many of us think of Jesus as resident boss instead of resident suggester? <laughs> how often do we hear him and we think it's a suggestion instead of, no, I so love you. Let me govern you. Listen to me. Hear my decisions for you, my will for you, my value for you. When Steve got up here earlier, he used my scripture. <laughs> Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That's who we are. That's who God says we are. We are incorruptible seed. First John 4.10 says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We are beloved children with no judgment of our sins. I am a child of God who always triumphs in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. He never pushes us. He won't make us follow. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. 2 Peter 2, 1, 3-4 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us according to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and his very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That's really what this message is about. It's not a law message, don't judge. Because the truth is, unless the Holy Spirit, unless resident boss helps us, we will. Because that's human nature. But we have a new nature. We have a divine nature. And he says, I don't want you reaping what you're sowing. It comes back multiplied. And it comes back as pain in your heart. It comes back as condemnation. It comes back sometimes even as illness because we can so devalue ourselves because of other people's opinions that we, it actually begins to affect us physically. We have to decide 
Jesus' opinion of us, his value that he placed on us is the truth of who we are and not what we place on ourselves. We are not the resident boss. We cannot see into even our own hearts. We need Jesus Christ to show us those things. So if you find in the coming weeks, you find yourself thinking, I think they think the Holy Spirit resident boss will remind you, you are a new creation. You are a beloved son and daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has given to us all things that we have need of. I don't need someone else's approval. Is it nice to have? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we would, I would be lying if I said I didn't want people to like me. But I can't live with you having power over my life. I can't live with someone else dictating how my heart feels. I have to let Jesus Christ be resident boss. Amen? Amen. Amen.